our device saved Jim Olson's life. I said, in the minute squiggly lines and data mean more to you than people's lives, that's the day you should get out of medicine. And then I pointed at all the other doctors and I said, and all of you doctors should get out of medicine. Hey guys, welcome back to the Matt Brown Show. This podcast is powered by Matt Brown Media. And I'm proud to bring you the stories of entrepreneurs who are hustling today's markets and creating great things in their own lives and in the world of business. So today I want to talk to you about your happiness. You know, in business, we often get stuck. And to quote my mate Howard Mann, when we get stuck inside the bottle, we can't read the label. Now, I use this analogy a lot because it perfectly sums up the realities of life, not just what we experience in business. When you are stuck, it's not a great place to be for the simple reason that, in my view, when we are stuck or we have that feeling of being stuck, we are effectively on the back foot, not the front foot. And it's at this point that many entrepreneurs enter what is called the valley of death because it's the time when most of us make some terrifically bad decisions which can ultimately affect our realities in a seriously negative way. So what you have then is the situation where our current reality does not meet our expectations and that always leads to unhappiness. You can think of it like a formula. Your expectations minus your reality equals your happiness level. Now one of the main reasons why I started the Matt Brown Show was to paint the realities of entrepreneurship to counteract what you so often read in mainstream media. And I just want to read you a couple of headlines just from this week. Language learning startup Lingo Kids scores $4 million funding and partners with Oxford University Press. The real real ropes in $50 million in new funding. Nestle leads $77 million funding round in a meal delivery startup called Freshly. Now, what this does, for, especially for aspiring entrepreneurs, it creates an expectation in the market that if you start a business, six months later, you're going to be sitting on a yacht in the south of France doing Bolivian cocaine with a bunch of Russian supermodels. My point being is that it creates an expectation in the market that is worlds apart from the realities of being an entrepreneur that is living in the trenches every day. And so this causes an immense amount of unhappiness. Tom A. Sacker is the author of five critically acclaimed books, the Business of Belief, Opportunity Screams, A Little Less Conversation, and A Clear Eye for Branding, and another book you might know is The Sandbox Wisdom, a heartwarming story about a CEO's search for meaning and success in the world of business. And in this episode, we discuss how entrepreneurs can build great businesses, but at the same time, stay true to themselves and ultimately their happiness. So without further ado, enter Tom Asaker. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to the Matt Brown Show. Um, I have the great privilege of having Tom Asaka with me on the line from the United States. Tom, say how's it? Yes, hey Matt, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. I'm uh, I'm hanging in there, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but on the whole, actually doing really well. So um, and it's really great to get a guest of your caliber. Uh, on the show, to be honest, um, I, as I said before, we started recording. The majority of the audience is actually South Africans, so I kind of interview the who's who of South African business over here. Um, but it seems to me like there's some tentacles spreading over into the US there. So obviously, with Howard Mann being on the show recently, and obviously, as you know, he referred me to you. Yeah, Howard's a great guy. Well, I, I appreciate this. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing my views with everyone in South Africa. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're going to explore. 
Um, I suppose some of the principles in your latest book, uh, which is called I Am Keats. And uh, full disclosure, I haven't read it, but I've done a shitload of research. Uh, <laughs> um, I haven't actually literally had the time to read it. So it's been one of those, that, one of those months. Um, you know what I mean? But um, so, so let's get down into the meat and potatoes, right? So your book is described as the thinking person's self-help book. Uh, that was one of the the reviews that I picked up on Amazon. But but what is what do you think that means? The thinking the thinking person self help book. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, look, most self help books are. Well, let me let me define the self first. So when people talk about the self, you know, the I, you know, like Tom or Matt. That's the self. That's just the sense that we have the separate identity. And then there are two aspects of this self. You know, there's this, this essence, this creative, compassionate component of us, um, you know, this curious soul. And then there's this other self. And this other self is concerned with control and acquiring things and how it looks to the world. All of those things that are driven by you know, it's by the social constructs and their identity. So most, if not all, self-help books are trying to help that self that's concerned about how it looks to the world. I'm not interested in that. So that's why it's called The Thinking Man's Self-Help Book. This book is trying to help that creative self, the self that, that's inspired, that's curious, that's an artist, that's an entrepreneur. Because if you try to go out into the world as an entrepreneur worried about what everybody thinks about you, you're not going to make it, mate. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, but it's funny how we kind of tell stories to ourselves about life and about business. And in business, it's, you know, you, we're telling ourselves stories about, you know, uh, reasons why or justifying, I suppose, or maybe it's because we're in denial potentially about why our business isn't succeeding. Do you know what I mean? And oh, I think, absolutely. Yeah, and I think like I, I'm so excited to actually get into the detail here because I think it's such an important um, uh, principle, I guess. And, and I know in your book and based on the reviews, there's just so many um, great little insights that I think entrepreneurs uh, can apply in their in their own world straight away, and it doesn't take you know a lot of effort to do it. But I suppose what we want to do is kind of set up um, Keats. Right. So right. if someone says like, I am Keats, like no one actually knows what that means. <laughs> so, 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 so what is the difference between the Keats versus Coleridge parts of our mind? Okay. So the Keats part of our mind is, it's, it's a non-judgmental part of our mind, a, a part of our mind that can go into a situation um, that can go, well, I use Keats because he did this with nature. But, but to walk into any environment and to just be one with the environment, try not to have your rational mind take over and start ruminating and thinking about what is this about, all the concepts that you already have in your mind. See, this, this Coleridge mind wants to get everything out and wants to understand how everything is going to work and because of that, as soon as it steps into a situation, it starts making assumptions about everything, it, right? It looks at what it sees through eyes that have been conditioned by experience. 
take it. You can look at anything like that. I mean, you can look at a product and in your mind, you know what this thing's all about because of the experiences that you had. So when, so when Steve Jobs first showed everyone the iPhone, they didn't get it because their mind said, wait a minute, these phones have buttons that I push. I don't see any buttons on this iPhone. But see, Jobs was, he was able to not look at things through this lens of what it is, what it should be, what it's telling me. Instead, just let go of all of those concepts, and that's Coleridge, concepts, and go into something fresh and say, how do I do this from the, a standpoint of, like I said, creativity, curiosity, compassion. If you can do that, you can bring new things alive. So it takes this fresh, these fresh eyes, and that's what the Keats part of our mind is. Okay, so Elon Musk talks about the concept of um, I don't know whether it's a concept <laughs> or, or something else, but he but he talks about first principles. Have you come across that? I have, but go ahead and tell me a little bit more, and I'll tell you if it's uh, what I'm thinking. Okay, so basically he's saying that if you take something like the electric car, the concept of an electric car. To the ordinary uh, person standing in the streets and to the established incumbents that play within the automotive industry, they will look at the electric car and say that it's not possible. It doesn't scale. It's too expensive. There's not a demand for it. There's not a market for it. And right. when, when you take those things and you put them into an entrepreneur's world, he looks at it and, and says, well, fuck that. There is actually an opportunity here. And uh, Elon talks about this concept of first principles where it says, if you're going to disrupt anything, or change the way that a market fundamentally behaves and acts, or unlock a market where there is constrained consumption, for instance. He says that you need to boil it down to first principles. In other words, if you take education, for instance, um, education, if you're going to fix the educational system, it's not actually about education, but it's about inequality. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds like what he's saying is the exact same thing that I'm saying with the Coleridge mind. The Coleridge mind reasons by analogy. So if it thinks about education, it, it, it says, well, what does education look like today? And it uses that as a starting point for innovation. And that's not the way to do that. I mean, the way, the way to look at education from a starting point is to ask, what is the purpose of education? You know, what are we trying, what is the outcome that we're looking for by educating children or educating adults? And then, then start fresh and say, what do we design that best suits that outcome that we're trying to achieve? As opposed to looking at it through analogy. Because once you do it through analogy, then you're just making small improvements on things that already exist. Maybe you're not even making small improvements. You know, maybe you're just mucking it up by just changing it around a little bit. So to me, that's the way to, to, to look at, uh, especially innovation. Absolutely. Uh, just a quick question. I want to kind of detour and talk about uh, a couple of things here. One is the concept of doing what you love, right? Mm -hmm. Or following your passion. So yesterday I was interviewing Mark Sham, who runs this uh, amazing uh, company in South Africa called Suits and Sneakers. And he's on this mission to fix the educational system of South Africa for, for many reasons that um, 
uh, are out there currently. I mean, it's completely broken as a concept. And he was telling me that he doesn't believe in this notion of doing what you love uh, or following your passion. Um, but in your book, you actually talk about this kind of principle about um, you know, letting your passion itself guide your rational self. And right. I wanted to find out from you, do you believe in things like follow your passion, do what you love? And how does that relate to you know, letting your, your passion itself guide your rational self? Right. So this, this gentleman that's trying to fix the educational system in South Africa, right? Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that he's driven by his passion to do that. He's not trying to do it because of some gain in the future, some, something that he's going to get out of everything. No, he hasn't sat down and graphed this out and said, if I change the educational system, there'll be a Wikipedia page about me someday, about what great things I did. He's driven by something. When I say passion, that passion can be something that pisses you off. It's not necessary. <laughs> You understand, it's not necessarily some wishy-washy, you know, I'm passionate about uh, birds, so I'm going to go be a bird watcher. It can be, I am really angry about how this works in our society, and I'm going to fix this. That's also driven by your authentic passion itself. That rational self is the self that's more concerned about the proceeds than it is about the process. The passion itself is interested in the process. It, it enjoys what it's doing. It's driven to do what it's doing. And my guess is this guy that you were talking about, he's driven. He's driven by something inside of him that wants to solve something. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, and he is. He's all heart. Um, as that's, as that's being that's his passion. I don't. I, what 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 do you think he means when he says don't follow your passion? Well, I suppose he was saying that you know if you do what you love. Well, there's a couple of things here. The first one is one one of the points that you landed um, in your last comment was um, that you just kind of get it. Just take education, for instance. He looked at education and he said, why does it have to be that way? Right. You know, um, and so that's the rational side. But in terms of the executional side of things, that's all heart. Do you know what I mean? And we were talking about empathy and how as you get older and as you mature as an entrepreneur and the longer that you run your own business and make a difference and solve problems, you start to develop this empathy, a greater empathy for for people. And 
And eventually it's almost like you grow into it rather than choose to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes. Empathy, empathy comes from, from giving up your prejudice. You know, when, when you release all of your prejudice about the world and about people and you just go in and interact with these people as one of them, that's how your empathy develops as an entrepreneur. You cannot be an entrepreneur and sit in your office and work on things. You have to be out with the customers, with your audience, with the people that you're trying to serve and trying to help so that you can understand how they see things through their lens, through their emotions, their frustrations, their desires, because the desire is what drives the marketplace. Without it, it the market doesn't exist. You know? I mean, if, if Buddhists were the marketplace, every shop would shut down. They don't do much shopping. Because they're trying to eliminate desire from their life. So it's desire that's driving everyone. And, and empathy is what helps you understand that desire. Yeah, that's really great. Um, just a quick one. I want to talk to you about um, problem solving. Because you know, entrepreneurs, to your point around why do entrepreneurs exist, and my view is that they are genuinely trying to solve problems in the world or f- and basically trying to figure stuff out. Um, and I, and I suppose that's especially true when it comes to starting a business, you know, like no business, well, no, no startups actually met the realities of the market, so to speak. And, uh, you know, and I think just in my experience, it can be probably the toughest experience you could probably have in life after getting divorced and losing someone that you really love, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, and I think, and, and when you're trying to figure things out, it can often lead to great unhappiness. And it was interesting for me because I was, when I was doing research, I came across a recent podcast that you did for your book and you asked the question, uh, why does success have to equal happiness? Why can't happiness equal success? <laughs> so, yeah. so just a question. So should entrepreneurs let go of trying to figure stuff out and, and, what do you think its implications or lessons are for entrepreneurs? Well, this is a tension, right? So there, there's a tension between this desire, this internal drive that, that you have as an entrepreneur um, to solve a problem, to create something. Um, and then once, you know, once you've got this thing developed or you have enough information coming in that you believe this solution because basically you're doing it for yourself. I mean, most of the greatest entrepreneurs are solving problems that they want to solve for themselves. It's something interesting to them. It's something that drives them. It's something that frustrates them or that they're curious about. The problem comes, excuse me, when you now have to try to get this thing into the world. You have to get people to start adopting it. That, and so th- that's your tension. That's where I think entrepreneurs start feeling pressure because they look at introducing things to the world as another problem to be solved. And they can become very frustrated with that. When instead of looking at it as a problem to be solved, they should look at it as an idea to be spread around. So... Take me, for example. I mean, I just released a new novel, and it's in the hands of some people out in Hollywood that potentially going to make it into a movie. But I have, like, really no control over that. 
So I can think that I can solve this problem and I can become frustrated if they're not put, you know, if the studio doesn't pick it up and, and they drop it and I have to go some other direction. I can do that or I can say, look, I created something that I believe in. Now, how do I get it out into as many places as possible to hopefully make a connection with someone else that sees what I see? Because that's what you're doing as an entrepreneur. If you really feel that you solve something and that, that you're helping and you're adding value, now you have to figure out how to get it out to enough people so that the ones that see what you see grab onto it and then tell other like-minded people. And that's how the thing takes off. That's how you help the most people. Not by becoming frustrated that everyone doesn't see what you see because they can't see what you see. Or you wouldn't be a visionary. That's what the word is all about. Yeah. But there are people that can see these things. You know, there were people in Van Gogh's days that looked at his art and were amazed by it. But the majority of people, they couldn't see his vision. And that's why he died a pauper. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't get it out there in a broad enough way to connect with the people that could see his genius. Because that wasn't part of his nature. He just didn't like that part of it. So you've got to do the work. But then comes that other hard part, especially if you're an inventor and an entrepreneur and a creative How do I get this thing out into the world? And you're not trying to promote. You're trying to share. That's all you're doing. You're saying, I have something of value. Take a look at it. See. Yeah, that's such a great point because I'm that guy. (laughs) I'm that guy right now because I've spent the last two years podcasting and uh, and it's picked up a lot of steam. I've had some really amazing uh, guests on the show. Um, and to your point, like, I don't believe that I'm a creator. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm a curator mm-hmm. for others. And my biggest uh, kind of, you could call it moments of being stuck right now is getting more ears listening to the show because the show is great. I mean, I've got, I get fan mail every other week. Uh, the feedback's been really great. Um, and so for me, it's, it's about getting more listeners, but not because I'm trying to make I don't make a sense out of this show. Do you know what I mean? I but, do. It's, but it's purely about getting more people to, to experience the show and to learn from people such as yourself, you know, and I have that distribution challenge right now. Now, even though my show is consumed in a hundred countries around the world, it's not enough. Do you know what I mean? For me, it's almost like. I'm trying to overcome this this hurdle, this thing, this moment now of being stuck, where um, I'm trying to find new ways to get people to come to the show. Do you know what I mean? Because, no, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, look, I, I don't know. I think entrepreneurs often get stuck, you know, and especially when things get tough. I, I don't know, like we get stuck in our heads. <laughs> we stare into the abyss. Oftentimes, um, you know, we just get. S- I suppose you asked the question, like, are we doing the right things the right way? Yeah. Listen, if you feel that you're doing the right thing and you're doing the right thing and, and you cannot look at this, at this um, challenge, like you said, it's a hurdle. You know, and that, that's a metaphor, right? You're running down the track. You have to jump over this thing. And once you hurdle it, then you're okay. That's not true. Because if you ever run hurdles, you'll see that there are a bunch of hurdles. 
It's not, you don't jump over the hurdle and say, okay, I'm home free. And that's what affects all successful people. I, you know, I, Jerry Seinfeld once said that, that success is the enemy of comedy. Because what happened to him? He, he jumped the hurdle, became highly successful. And now that thing that he was passionate about, telling jokes, making people laugh, he had a problem with that now because he couldn't walk into a club and try new material, the thing that really used to turn him on, because everyone expected to see Jerry Seinfeld. So he was really nervous about telling new jokes and, and being, you know, being a dud up on stage. So if you keep doing the things you love to do, regardless of whether there's a hurdle that you jump over or not, at the end of your life, when you look back and somebody says, did you have a good life? You say, yeah. And, th- and they'll ask you why. And you say, because I enjoy doing the things that I wanted to do. You don't look back and say, yeah, I had a good life because I jumped that hurdle. I, I can assure you that that is, that is the puzzle that everybody has to figure out is that everyone's chasing success. They don't even know what the success means. If you ask them, what does it mean to you, success? Really think about it. Oh, and they'll say, oh, it's uh, a million listeners. Oh, okay. How come? Why is that success? Well, if I have a million listeners, then I can start getting sponsors. Okay. And then what? Well, if I have sponsors, then I I can do this full-time because that's what I really love to do. Really? You want to do this full-time? Yes, I do. And if you do it full-time, and the number of people start dropping and your sponsors get angry at you, do you think that's going to make you happy? So it's really interesting when you talk to people, what is success? And they'll say, I want to win the lottery. I want to win, have millions of dollars. And then you go look at people who've won the lottery and a year later, they're no happier than they were before they won the lottery. So success is getting up in the morning, doing what the hell you want to do during the day, going to bed at night, and then getting up the next day and doing it again. That's success. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. When I say the word successful, who do you think of and why? That, that's a really good question. Who do I think of when you say successful? I don't know because most, most of what we view as success, we're seeing an illusion, a story that people tell, Right. So if, 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 you, if I said uh, to you, who do you see as successful? And you say, oh, well, I think, um, oh, I don't know. I think Bill Gates is successful. And I'd say, okay, good. Would you right now, if I could s- switch you for Bill Gates and you be Bill Gates and he's you, would you do it? You'd say no, because you don't know what's coming along with all of that story called Bill Gates. You don't know if he gets up in the morning and he's happy. You don't know if the relationship with his wife's a good one. You don't know if he has friends that he associates with. You don't, you don't know any of these things. And that's my point about success. Success is you get up in the morning and, you know, you're happy. You're sharing. You're creating. You're, not that you're not running into frustrations. Not that you're not having problems. Because I guarantee you, if you have an exciting life, you have problems. That's the other thing people don't realize is life is like a roller coaster. If you want the highs and lows of a roller coaster, if that's what you want, an exciting life, then take the lows. They have to come with the highs. But people don't want that. They want to know, how do I get the highs with no lows? 
how do I have an exciting, successful, passionate, creative life, but I don't want any pain. I don't want to suffer while I'm doing that. Well, that can't happen. They're two sides of the same coin. Yeah, it's such a truism. Um, it's like I was told by Howard um, Saxton, another guest of mine recently, he said to me, entrepreneurship's not a destination. It's not about when you get $10 million or whatever the case might be, but he said it's a journey. And it's about living each day in such a way that it can fulfill you in as many different facets as possible. Because to your point, no one, even if someone like take Elon Musk, that guy's got problems. And I'm not just talking about fixing the world problems. He's got stuff that isn't out in the public domain. Right. You know, but he's the poster child for, uh, you know, for entrepreneurship globally, right? And uh, it doesn't matter who I speak to. And this is especially true in the, on, in the entrepreneurship space. I, I, think, I think in my view, you have this situation where the media portrays entrepreneurship in a particular light. Uh, but the realities on the ground are oftentimes very, very different. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, the story. Because listen, <laughs> here's the interesting thing that we do as humans. And it's not that people are lying, okay? But what people do in order to tell you the story, their entrepreneurial story, is they pick and choose different moments during that journey and they string it all together and they tell you this story that sounds like, like a movie. Oh, I, I had this idea and I, I, went, I had some ups and downs and, and then this happened and then, then I, became, you know, I did this. And it sounds like, like a hero journey. It's a lie. Because what they don't tell you, maybe because they don't see it themselves, is, you know, if I was at this meeting and I bumped into this guy, and if I wasn't at that meeting and didn't bump into that guy, nothing would have happened with this business. It was purely random. It was serendipity. And if they would tell the stories like that, truthfully, then all of a sudden you'd realize wow, what I really need to do is get out there and have more experiences that can potentially bump me in to luck, to serendipity, to fortune. Yes, work hard. But you look, there's a lot of luck that comes along in becoming, you know, getting your ideas out into the world, becoming successful by that standard. Yeah, I think just the point around putting yourself out there, because the more and more that I interview, uh, you know, thought leaders and entrepreneurs, um, there's this there's this kind of repeating. I wouldn't say rhetoric, but I would say there's a point in the interview where someone says to exactly how you described it, and then just by fluke or by luck, this happened, and then it it put the business onto another trajectory. Like the guy who started Tom's, the um, the shoe company where they, right. if you buy one, they donate one to the world's, uh, the world's poor or, or uh, kids without sort of shoes and stuff. And he's, he's he built a, a, like hundreds of billions of dollars worth of shoes, right? In terms of company and market cap. And he got his break with that, um, with that business because someone saw him uh, doing a kind of a TV ad or something. It was almost like 
it was flukes. The media somehow picked up on him, and he right. held and he held up the phone because they said it was after the. It wasn't the first media piece that he had done, obviously, but I'm talking about the one that really put the business on the world map. And he was holding a BlackBerry at the time, if you can believe it. And mm-hmm. the, and the reporter said to said to him, "How do you run?" your business if you're traveling around the world delivering all these shoes and he said well i do it with this and he held up the blackberry uh, or the motorola it was some cell phone manufacturer and someone who was working at that company saw him do that and then they made a tv ad out of it and that's what actually put him on the map <laughs> this is what i'm telling you people don't want it to, 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 they it kind of like destroys the mystery, you know, the whole story. Because you you go to the website and read the story. That's probably not on there. But that and that's what I'm telling you. This anyone who tells you that that it was all them, I did this, I put my mind to this, and I'm the one who made all this happen. They're they're like either egomaniacs, deluded, something, because it doesn't ever work that way. No one I've ever met. If you ask Steve Jobs if he were alive today and you said, look, what made Apple the most valuable company in the world? He'll say, well, the iPhone. And we'll say, yeah, but how did you know to do the iPhone? I know what he would tell you if he was telling you the truth. He'd say, look, somebody handed me a Nokia phone and it had a couple of songs on it. And my mind saw the future and said, no, get rid of these iPods and all these things. The phone is the thing that's going to have the songs on it and internet access and all of that. And that's what he did. He stopped development of the iPod when he saw a Nokia phone with a few songs on it. Now, why didn't Nokia do it? I don't know. Why, why didn't other computer companies do it? Why didn't Dell do it? I don't know. He did it. And that was it. End of story. So, I don't know. These stories, like I said, they sound good, but they're not true. Life isn't a story. In retrospect, people put it together like it is, but it's just random. Things happen. You know, go make things happen and see what happens. See what you bump into. The rest of the show is coming up shortly, but now a quick word from our sponsors. Are you a freelancer or independent professional or now thinking about dumping the J-O-B and going solo? The idea of going freelance is irresistible. No more boss who doesn't appreciate your work. No more restrictions. You can travel and create a career that fits in with your life. And why not? You studied, worked hard and perfected your skills. It's time for you to go freelance. Freedom at last. Well, slow down there, buddy. You're about to be derailed by one of the worst assumptions you can make going into the freelance market. You understand the creative work of your business, but don't understand a business that does creative work. And make no mistake, you are starting a business. But there is no need to panic. What the Freelance, the mini MBA for digital and creative freelancers, the book, is coming out soon in digital, Kindle, and soft copy. By reading What the Freelance, you'll not only discover your own hidden motivations for being a freelancer, but you'll also discover what you want for your business. Do you want to stay small or grow into a larger business yourself? The mini MBA, which was developed over years by business consultants that specialize in the marketing, media, digital, and communications industry, will teach you how to achieve your freelance dreams and will help you learn fundamental business skills, the art of strategy, the basics of bookkeeping, taxes, account management, and system use, plus much, much more. Register on whatthefreelance.com for more info and news on the book launch and early bird specials, or simply drop an email to hello at whatthefreelance.com. You can also check out info on Facebook, 
facebook.com forward slash what the freelance what the freelance it's the mba you have been looking for speaking of storytelling you mentioned uh, just now your novel and how that is probably going is it going to become a movie I don't know. Listen, this whole thing, even this I Am Keats book that that we're talking about, all the philosophies in that book came about because I had a crazy idea. Sounds like another, it's an entrepreneur, right? Crazy idea for a movie. And so I went into the process with a writing partner of writing a screenplay to create a movie. And I didn't really know how to write a screenplay. I've written a whole lot of books, but it's different game to write a screenplay. Screenplay is, oh, I don't know. It's just much, much different. It's a visual description of what a director sees on a screen. And I went into that process and I started learning all kinds of things about storytelling and how we live life like it's a story and we're characters. And then the screenplay went out to some guys in Hollywood and, you know, some things sounded good, some things didn't. So nothing really worked out. But the reviews that came back from the people who had to analyze the screenplay were, we really loved reading it. So my instinct, again, and this is the thing I'm talking about, this instinct, my instinct said, well, if people like reading it, turn the screenplay into a novel. Well, that's completely backwards. Nobody does that. Usually what people do is write a novel and then Hollywood picks it up and turns it into a screenplay and then a movie. I went completely backwards. I said, well, if people like reading a screenplay, then they'll obviously like reading a novel because a novel's a better reading experience. (laughs) So the novel was released last week. Now, what's going to happen with that? I have no idea, but I don't care. That's That's the crazy thing. I've never been like this in my life. I mean, I've owned medical companies. I've worked for GE. I bought out one of their companies, you know, I, believe me, I've been through it all. I've never gotten to this point in my life where I said, let's just let the universe take over and take me where it wants to go. That doesn't mean I sit here at my desk and do nothing. It means I create what's inside of me and then I spread it all over the place and see if it sticks. If it does, okay. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Create something new. Do something else. I don't become attached anymore. My identity doesn't become attached to things. These are just ideas that make sense to me, and I'm hoping to find other people that it makes sense to that enjoy it as well. Yeah, just one anecdote to support what you've just said. Um, I have been pushing uh, the podcast on social media quite a bit. Um, and as I said, it's, you know, for some reason it's picking up traction, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, I got this message on LinkedIn, uh, last week and, and it's exactly the same story or principles that we're talking about here where I was just putting stuff out, putting stuff out. There was, you know, hardly anything major coming from it. And then all of a sudden I get this guy reach out to me on LinkedIn and he says, Matt, uh, your name keeps coming up. And I'd like to do uh, an interview with you for my magazine. And I'm like, okay, hang on. And I said, which, which magazine is this? And he goes, no, it's, uh, it's continent Africa. I'm like, never heard of it. So he goes, I said, what's your, what's your readership? He says 2 million people. Hmm. 
Um, and it's the in-flight magazine for Air Seychelles. And uh, it's got a, obviously, Africa, it's distributed across numerous countries. But that's a classic example of luck. That's it. Do you know that's what it. I mean? Like, like, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. But no. like, like you don't know what's going to happen with your movie. Yeah. But I think, the, I suppose, the lesson here for entrepreneurs is just keep putting yourself out there. And, and, and eventually something, I suppose, might happen without trying to sound too, you know, passive about it. Yeah, look, and, and if you, Matt, if you do this and you, you know, you interview with this magazine, if you do it with no expectation, none, you won't become disappointed by anything. So if it, if it blows up and all kinds of crazy stuff starts happening, good. If it doesn't, that's okay, too. Because you're not, you're not making a bet on it. You're not betting your happiness on some outcome in the future. You're doing what you love to do when you get up in the morning. And whatever the universe does with that, you're not in... See, we think <laughs> this is that Coleridge part of the mind again. We actually believe that we're, we control things, you know. We believe we're in control of life. And it... Our actions basically move us to where we want to be. That's a lie. That's not true. I mean, brain scientists right now are trying to make a case that there's no such thing as free will. That really? we're being, yeah, that we're basically being pushed and pulled around by all kinds of factors and influences in our environment. And it's below our own level of awareness. We don't even know what's going on. Most of our decisions that we make are unconscious decisions or subconscious decisions. They're way below our own level of, of understanding. So they're saying, look, you don't have any control. Now I'm saying, okay, I think we do have some control, not over the direction of our life, but over the decisions that we make. We have influence. Now, whether or not that influence is going to actually change your life based on how that influence interacts with other people, that is not in your control. Look, I used to, when people would call me up, I, I do a lot of speaking, like keynote speaking in the States primarily. But I used to, when I'd get a call from people and, and they'd say, look, we really want to have you come speak at our conference. It's, it's, and it's in this month and you know, we know your fee is X, but can you work with us on fee? And we watch your videos online. We think you're great, all of that. And we have a wonderful conversation on the phone. In the old days, what I would do is I'd write down all their information and then I would follow up with them over and over. I don't do any of that anymore. Because look, the way I look at it is they know who I am. They know my fee. We had a great conversation. They know I'll work with them. It's out of my hands now. There's nothing more I can do to make that happen. So why am I going to sweat about stuff in the future that I don't have any control over? I have to get back to creating and stop ruminating about, am I going to get it? Is this going to happen? You don't know what's going to happen. Everything that I've worried about in my life the most, none of it ever happened. And I spent all of my time worrying about the fact that it was going to happen. It never happened. Yeah. The stuff that did happen, it blindsided me. I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting 
point that we're touching on here, the relationship between free will, control, action, and influence, and happiness, actually. Exactly. Because your protagonist in this case might say, well, hang on, if, if uh, let's take your example, right? So you had a great conversation on the phone, and uh, you told them the rate, they said, you know, can you do us a bit of a, a solid and, uh, you know, give a discount your rates or whatever. You're like, no, listen, this is how much, whatever the case might be. And basically, you're standing your position. But from that point onwards, you're not, you're not really caring what happens after the fact. But here, I want to run something past you, though. When you're starting a business, you almost need to say yes to everything before you have the luxury of saying no. So, so while I don't disagree with your point around because I, I do actually find myself always worrying about this, things that I actually have no control over. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, but, but as an entrepreneur and as a startup, you almost feel obligated to chase down that lead. Do you know what I mean? Or take them out for coffee or take them out for lunch or maybe trying to, to go to their superiors in order to kind of get that sale in order for you to grow. And, and so what, 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 what do you say to, to an entrepreneur in that situation? <laughs> Look, everything that everyone chooses in the marketplace, whether it's a speaker, a product, <clears throat> excuse me, an entrepreneur's idea, people are only doing it because they expect some kind of value back. There's something in it for them back. That's how it works. It's an exchange. It's not a good or bad thing. <clears throat> excuse me. And it's not a human thing. It is nature. You know, when the butterfly goes out into the field and it's looking for the flowers, the certain color flowers and certain scent in the flowers, it's expecting something in return if it sits on that flower, you know, some nectar or whatever. And the flower is exchanging value with the butterfly. It's getting something out of it. That's just how it works. So if that entrepreneur is giving enough information in an emotional way, that says to this person, wow, I can't get this value anywhere else, then what are you worried about? Now, what entrepreneurs worry about is that there are a lot of people giving people the same value I'm giving them. That's why they think I have to go have coffee over and over and over. I remember I was giving a talk to, uh, I think it was Inc. Magazine. It was a bunch of CEOs of fast growth companies at Inc., and at the end, we had did some Q&A, and, and one of the gentlemen asked me in the audience, he said, Tom, I need to increase sales productivity. What one thing would you have me do that will help my salespeople increase their productivity? And I said to them, <clears throat> I said, listen, tell your salespeople that if they're ever with a prospect in the future, and they feel like the prospect's not going to do business, just some gut feel. I want them to look in the eyes of the prospect and say, Mr. Prospect, I may be off base here, but I'm feeling that we're just not really going to do any business together. Am I wrong with that feeling? And I said, now, what are the two things that can happen? One is the prospect says, yeah, you're right. We're not going to to do any business together because my brother-in-law, he sells the same products and blah, blah, blah. That's good. Now you don't have to bring this guy donuts every week, right? Because you're wasting your time. If the prospect says to you, no, 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 your feelings are off base. We are going to do business. 
Well, then you can ask him, say, well, that's great. What's holding us back from doing that? What have I not done? What have I not provided to you? What questions can I answer? But see, they're nervous to do that because we don't want to hear no. I'm telling you, you want to hear no over and over and over and over again so you know not to waste your time. You know, okay, this isn't the right fit because it's not about selling. It's finding the right connections in the marketplace. So whatever you can do to get an understanding, oh, this is a right connection. Good. Uh-oh, this one's not a right connection. Don't waste your time there. Don't become frustrated. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the fact that the butterfly doesn't like that particular flower. And there's nothing you're going to do about that. Yeah, I, I suppose when you're talking about action, this is actually about two things. One, it's about how you approach decision making and therefore action. Because decisions generally precede action, um, yeah. unless I'm not from planet Earth. <laughs> uh, but you basically have these, there's two things here. There's the rational sense and the emotional sense of whether or not you should pursue this talk with this person, for instance, or right. with this company. Um, and so I guess I wanted to just pick your brain around what personal experiences have you had and that you can share with our listeners that will help them understand the kind of dynamics between decision-making and taking action? <laughs> oh, listen, I've had more experience. I, I remember an experience once where I had a, a, a breakthrough innovative medical device and I was in one of the leading teaching institutions in the States and I was giving a presentation about this device that we're releasing for patients. And so, you know, 14 physicians walk into the room. It's lunchtime. We have lunch laid out on a table, the salesperson and I, and they all sit down and they're in their scrubs with stethoscopes dangling around their necks. And I go through this presentation and I thought it was great because I'm giving these people information, rational, data, studies, everything. I get done and um, one of the, you know, the leading physician in the room looks at me and says, uh, Mr. Asacker, are you the president of the company? And, and I knew that was a bad question because he knew I was the president of the company, right? So this, I knew there was something that was coming that I, I wasn't going to like. And I said, uh, yes, doctor, I am. And he said to me, and you came to our teaching institution with such shoddy clinical data? And... <laughs> Let me tell you, the sales guy, I, you know, I don't know what happened to him. I think he crawled under a table. I'm standing there. I don't even know what's going on because my head is spinning. And then I realized he was looking at the data we had, and it was a small number of patients that we studied because as a small company, we can't afford, you know, $100 million to do a study. And he was used to these big companies coming in, you know, with thousands of patients in the study. So he called that shoddy because he looked at his place as superior. So I'm going to tell you what I did because it was based on instinct and it was based on passion. It was based on what I was feeling at the moment. I said to him, doctor, turn to patient number 10 because they had the studies in front of them. And I said, do you see those squiggly lines? And I, I said that, I guess, on purpose to kind of upset him. So it was all kinds of, uh, you know, polysomnographic data and blood pressure, all kinds of readings on a graph. 
I said, those lines, those squiggly lines are Jim Olson. Jim Olson lives in Maine in a little white house with a white picket fence, a wife that adores him, a beautiful little girl that loves her father. I said, no other device in the country could help Jim Olson. Our device saved Jim Olson's life. I said, in the minute squiggly lines and data mean more to you than people's lives, that's the day you should get out of medicine. And then I pointed at all the other doctors and I said, and all of you doctors should get out of medicine. And I picked up the thing, the device. I I had sweat pouring down my back because I figured it's over. I'm out of business. I grabbed the sales guy from underneath the table and we left. Because of that instinctual move of what I knew in my gut was right. Every teaching institution I walked into in the country knew my name and said, are you the guy that told the doctors that if they cared more about numbers and data, they should get out of business? And I said, yeah, I'm the guy. I was a hero everywhere I went. On top of that, the guy that I said that to, he agreed to join my board of advisors for my medical company. Wow. So do you see what I mean? You have to be driven from the inside out, from Keats, from a passion to help people, to make a difference, not by what you think the audience is thinking. That's Coleridge. That's let me get him some more data. No, the hell with that. If you know you've got enough data, you've got enough data. Now speak with conviction and with passion instead of with calculation. Because we're running around trying to figure everything out and we think we can persuade people with numbers and data and information. That's not how human beings operate. Human beings operate based on emotion, on feelings. And once you get that right as an entrepreneur, then you don't worry about anything anymore. Yes, that's such an amazing story. Um, I guess the only thing I would say there is tell them a story. Do you know what I mean? Like you could have, if anyone else was in that situation with those, with that guy basically attacking your presentation, fundamentally what you were doing as a business, I guess, uh, to a larger extent, um, any other person who wasn't self-actualized at that moment would have probably just packed up and, and basically bailed. And do you know what I mean? Like not have said what you said, because you, if you didn't, you, you must have had some well, I would even go as far as to say an unwavering belief in what you were doing at that point. Would you agree? Well, yeah. Well, listen, I know that the thing actually saved someone's life. So if I knew that, I, what numbers didn't mean anything to me anymore. You know, I had numbers. I just didn't have an, enough. See, what most people will do when they're attacked is they'll argue. You cannot win. Once someone has this feeling, and that doctor had a feeling, to try to attack him with information, with an argument, never works. It just makes them dig in deeper. The only way you're going to overcome a feeling is with a stronger feeling. And that's what that story did. It made him question himself. And say, wait a minute, am I the doctor who's only concerned about numbers or do I care about people? How could he walk out of there without running that question through his head? Yeah, I mean, you could have continued to talk about data, do you know what I mean? But you told him a story and it was an emotive one. And it was such a great emotive story that 
it actually put you on the radar of many other companies. Yeah, look at I didn't think this out. I didn't say to myself, okay, I'm going to walk in there and I only have so much data, so I better be armed with a good story. That's not how it worked. You know, he pushed me until I went into my essence, a reason for why I was doing what I was doing. And I just grabbed onto that and I just let it loose. That was it. Because believe me, if you thought that I thought I was doing the right thing, you should have asked that sales guy when I was doing that. I mean, he, like I said, I looked at his eyes and when I took, looked at all those doctors and said, all you should get out of medicine, he wasn't happy about that. So that wasn't like some, oh, wow, that was a wonderful little story. <laughs> you, like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, I know. That's crazy. I just wanted to pick up on one thing you mentioned was, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so classic. Um, but you said you knew in your gut. Um, and I think it's like, there's that saying, you know, trust your guts as an entrepreneur. If like, so I guess what I wanted to ask you was, how do you trust your gut? Like what, are you, in terms of you personally, um, what signals do you get physiologically or psychologically potentially that helps you determine, you know, the extent to which you should trust your gut in making a decision or, or doing something like you did in that in that boardroom yeah that's a good question now look your gut is only as good as all of the information and experiences you've put up in your head to start with right because all your gut feeling is doing is it's is it's rapidly looking up into the experiences you've had call them like little dots so every experience you have is like a dot in your in your brain what your gut does is it goes up and rapidly looks at those dots and connects them and creates a feeling. And, and it says, oh, based on all the experiences I've had in life, this feels right. Now, the problem that entrepreneurs have is either they get nervous because they can't find information to support that gut feel. And how could they? Right? Or if they do go out and start searching all over Google, they'll find, oh, there's other people doing this, so why should I even do it? That typically happens as well, right? Yeah. The other thing that entrepreneurs get backwards is instead of listening to that gut, they'll look at the, at the marketplace and they'll say, what does the marketplace need? Let me go do that. That's a big mistake. I've had many failed businesses because I did that. And I don't do that anymore. I don't look anymore at what do people need because they don't necessarily want what they need. They want what they want. I've gone out into, into segments of the industry that I said, I know they need this in order to keep up with the changes in technology, whatever it is. And you know what? They didn't want it because it was too disruptive. It was going to change everything for everyone. So look for things that people desire, that's easy, that, you know, that, that improves their lives. Don't look at, oh, yeah, look, that, that person is out of shape. I know they need this. Maybe they don't want it. And so you could spend your whole life trying to sell them something they need. It doesn't mean that they're going to buy it. Find what they desire. Or, like I said, which I like better, 
What is it that you desire? What makes you feel good? What problems are you solving that turn you on? Because if it does for you, I guarantee it will do it for other people too. There are a lot of people that feel and think like you do out in the world. You just have to spread that thing around to find those people. Yeah, can I just say that you've, you've literally described something that's happened to me this year about, <clears throat> excuse me, about trying to, to sell something that you think the market wants mm-hmm. and not actually listening to your guts. Um, and so, so I'll give you some context. I suppose I have to now, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, so I've, I've basically started a business going into kind of di- digital disruption and really helping companies, uh, you know, unlock digitally led products and services, right? Because, you know, digitization is a real thing and, uh, there's very few, there's basically a big opportunity in the kind of middle of the markets, not the small businesses, but the mid cap companies. You can't afford yes. big, a big consultancy fees from like Deloitte, Bain, Accenture and so forth. But I come from that world. So I figured, Hey, well, what if I did that? You know? Um, and so I don't know how much you've been following South Africa's political situation, but our president uh, keeps dropping us in the poo. Um, and so our economy has been downgraded to junk status. Now this may sound like a sub story and me being a, a victim here. No, I mean, no, but, but but I know. But it's just because I keep having this conversation with people. They're saying, right, "Matt, you must uh, you must um, be very wary of the kind of inner dialogue that you have and this kind of stuff." And they're not wrong. But anyway, so I just wanted to kind of park that because I do have listeners. <laughs> so, I understand. But 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 here's the thing: I was trying to sell something to a market that they that. I know, I know that they need, but they don't know that they that they need it. Do right? You know they don't I mean? want it, right? So yeah, exactly. They need, it. they need it, but they don't want it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. And um, and you know, it's like if if and I keep saying this, it's like if you're trying to sell something that's innovative, and the company's like printing cash hand over fist, then why would they care? And equally, if they if they're bleeding money, right. how can they justify it? Right. Do you know what I mean? And so, and so, so that's that's kind of the one of the biggest lessons that I've learned this year. And and then what's been happening next to that is this podcast and the and the media um, exposure that I've been getting. And suddenly, when I look at that side of the coin, it's like, well, one's not working, but this is, but on the other side of the coin, this is working. Yeah. And and what I was saying to Mark Sham the other day, and I think it just echoes your point around like find out what really lights you up. And I said to him, if I had to choose between consulting versus doing this podcast every day, if I could make a living out of doing this, uh, I probably will at some point. Um, but when that time comes, then this will make me so much happier because I find that I'm, I'd be more connected to something that, that resembles contribution. In a, in a real sense. And I'm saying, because like, uh, just one of the questions that I was going to ask you but I, you know, one of the reasons why I do this podcast is to help grow entrepreneurs in South Africa, and maybe not even in South Africa, but just whoever whoever actually cares, do you right. know, enough, yes. and 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 really to inspire them to kind of live a life that fulfills them, you know, because there's just so many unhappy people out there. But mm-hmm. you know, you can be fulfilled and make a positive difference at the same time, and and if you and if you do that. You can, money is like a byproduct of that thing because you just, when people meet you, they'll believe you. Do you know what I mean? There won't be any selling required because they'll just, they'll just care as much as, maybe not as much as you care about your vision, but they will start to believe you. And when they start to believe in what you're doing, they want to work with you. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I Um, do. 
Yeah, yeah. No, so, you got it exactly right. I mean, you listen. I, that's what I said when people are chasing success or they're chasing the future and they don't even know what the hell it is they're chasing. You, we have to be aware of, you know, why are you pursuing goals? And you don't sacrifice your life today because your life today is you're in the future. It's just an accumulation of moments that you have, right? So you don't sacrifice your experience, creativity, compassion, love, joy, because you think that that goal that you're pursuing is going to bring you all that later. You don't do that. It's crazy. It's crazy thinking. It's like it's like playing the lottery and then pinning your hopes on winning millions of dollars. No, you can hope to win, but if you you know pick up the ticket the next day and you say oh, I lost, you're gonna feel you're gonna feel bad. No, it's the same thing. So don't pin your happiness and well-being to the future. Do it now. See, happiness is is nobody knows what it is anyway. I mean, you go to Wikipedia, there's like three thousand entries in there about what's happiness. It's really paradoxical because if you look at the root of the word happiness, it it, it means by chance or or like happen happenstance by chance by occurrence. So happiness really is a sense of newness and wonder, an appreciation of chance occurrences. So if you want to be happy, do different things. Right? Don't try to don't pursue happiness. Pursue experiences. Do things that turn you on. Meet people that are like-minded, that get a kick out of what you do, that find value in what you do. So that's the key: is stop searching for happiness, because that's not really what you want anyway. We don't plan our lives around. Uh, I, I know I want to just have an elevated emotional state. That's what people who are addicted to substances do. They want this elevated emotional state, so they stay on this whatever it is—alcohol, drugs. You can become addicted to television, whatever, and it just keeps you in this emotional state. But you're not enjoying life. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a truism that um, uh, just going back to Howard Man, uh, not Howard Man, <laughs> Howard Sachs, <laughs> Howard Sachs, that I interviewed. He said to me, "You know what?" Because we were talking about a similar thing around happiness, and he said. He said to me, Matt, like, I said to him, what, 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 what do you say to someone that's unhappy? Do you know? And he said to me, listen, people need to figure out what makes them happy or they need to be unhappy. They need to be happy or learn to be happy in their misery. Right. Yeah, it's totally true. And I guess one of the other things that I'm, I'm another big reason why I'm, I do this podcast is because I'm, I've been in and out of corporate my whole life, you know. Um, and so I've got this view of the corporate space and, and the kind of general status quo of happiness that exists there. And a lot of people aren't happy, right? But then on the entrepreneurship side, I know what the status quo is there too. And while it is tough, there seems to be a lot more happiness in the entrepreneurship side of things. And so I guess, for me, starting a business isn't easy. So if you're sitting in corporate um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're sitting in corporate, I think when I'm, I've been guilty of this. You, you expend so much energy in trying to understand or know more and more about the thing that you're trying to start or that you're thinking about starting. So what you do is you start playing it safe. Right. You know, and, and you actually don't start the journey or many people don't, they don't start the journey until they're like 100% sure, 
<laughs> which, never, which never happens. Yeah, you're never certain of anything ever. No. Like I, I don't care who you are. There's some like you can't be certain about everything in your life because that would equal boredom. <laughs> so, oh no, you you're absolutely right. Listen, that's what why like psychologists they have like you know ten dollar awards for things. They call it the hedonic <laughs> adaptation, right? So what they say is you become happy, but then you level off because you've adapted to this. So if you want happiness, right? What you want to do is you want to stay curious. You want to try new things. You want to take chances, right? Chances, luck, that creates serendipity. Pursuing happiness is a fool's errand. Instead, you just want to enjoy your life to the fullest by living from your inside out because then you have nothing to regret. You know, like somebody said to me, do you think you made the right decision, you know, spending the last three years working on the screenplay and the novel? I said, of course I did. And they said, how do you know? I said, because I wanted to do it. I enjoyed doing it. That's how I know. See, everyone's looking out into the future to find out whether something that you're doing today is it, it was worth it or not. It's worth it if you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, how could it have been worth it? <laughs> yeah, geez, that's power, man. So I want to wrap up uh, now, Tom, uh, if you don't mind. So just two more questions. Um, first one is, if you could get back into a time machine and go back to yourself as a 20-year-old and give yourself one piece of advice, either about business or life, what advice would you give? Don't take yourself so damn seriously. I mean, this, we're here to enjoy this ride called life. It is chaotic. It is beautiful. It is strange. It's unpredictable. Uh, it's like being plopped down right in the middle of this amusement park. And you're here. And you've got rides. And you've got fun houses. And you've got foods and people. Enjoy the hell out of it. Because it doesn't last forever and you don't know when you're going to be pulled out of that amusement park. So don't take it all too seriously. Enjoy this ride. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm laughing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Life is totally an amusement park. <laughs> it is. It is amusement park. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, that's a whole book in, in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> anecdotes of the relentless <laughs> oh funny okay so uh what <laughs> one last question for you um you've you've now written five books and you know you probably you know you've done more than than many i suppose in the amusement park uh, <laughs> but uh but but what's in it for you like why do you do what you do <laughs> I don't know, man. Listen, I, uh, I'm just, I'm really curious. So if, if something strikes me and grabs me and, and I can use that to help people, because I'm driven by really two things. One is creativity. I love to create. 
it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a medical product that I have patents on, whether it's a, an oil painting I still paint, whether it's a book writing, whether it's a speech I'm giving, they're all creative. What you're doing is creative. You call it curation, but it's way more than curation. You're not just collecting. You're engaging people. When you're talking to me and you're laughing, that's bringing things out of me. So that's a creative process to be able to do that. So I just want to create and then I want to use that creativity to try to bring some happiness and joy and life to, to people because I'm looking in people's eyes and they seem to be just tuning out. And I want people to wake back up and enjoy this crazy ride while we're, while we're still here on it. Yeah, we don't enjoy it enough, eh? Not at all. Yeah. Okay, Tom, thank you so much. That concludes your time uh, on the Matt Brown Show. It's been an absolute giggle, dude. (laughs) I've had a lot of fun, Matt. Thanks, man. Awesome, dude. Um, And yeah, so guys, I will uh, post up a link to Tom's book, uh, I Am Keats, in the show notes. It's a short read. So if you are running a business and you hustled for time, you can get through it uh, in your lunch break if you read quickly. And, And Matt, one thing, and I don't know why, But the book that I wrote prior to this, so this I Am Keats book tells you how to let go of all of your beliefs and stories and and really live fully and passionately. The book that, and it's another short book, that the book I wrote prior to this was how to appeal to people in the marketplace that get hooked on beliefs and stories, right? Because they do. So that book was called The Business of Belief. And believe it or not, that took off in South Africa. Really? I have no idea why. I think because I told some stories that had to do with South Africa in the book. But that book took off over there. I've got huge sales in South Africa. So if anyone's interested in how do they let go of their beliefs so that they can fully live from their passion, but how do they get people in the marketplace to believe in their services and their causes and their brands? Read the business of belief will help with that part. Amazing. I'm totally going to pick that up. Uh, Tom, thank you so much once again. It's been an absolute privilege and an honor from my side. Well, thank you very much, Matt. Have a great one. You too. Cheers, cheers. Cheers, man. So for a while now, I've been wanting to get into the live podcast space. Now, you may be wondering what I mean by that. Well, what it means is that instead of me sitting with a guest and interviewing them alone, I actually interview a series of guests in front of a live audience. Now, how awesome would that be? Well, the good news is that on the 27th of July, that's a Thursday between 5pm and 7pm, the Matt Brown Show and Suits and Sneakers We'll be co-hosting an event called Cryptocurrencies, Blockchain, Bitcoin, and the Future of Money. It will also be my first live podcast where I'll be interviewing South Africa's premier experts on the subject in front of a live audience. No pressure then. Uh, So the event is also free. So come down and show your support. And all you need to do to book your free ticket is simply go to qkt.io forward slash crypto. That's qkt.io forward slash C-R-Y-P-T-O to book your tickets. So come down, guys, and show your support. It would also be great to finally meet many of you in person and for the very first time. So I'll see you all on the 27th. (laughs) 
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Matt Brown Show. It's been an absolute privilege having you with us. And remember, if you'd like more information on Digital Kung Fu or our guests and the full show notes, all you have to do is head on over to digitalkungfu.co.za and you can catch us all over the social media graph. So till next time. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.